Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. If you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us. I think back to last Easter and uh, attendance is up because none of you were here. And at the same time, I'm unbelievably thankful that we're able to join in online as well. And I am probably going to do the most different Easter message I've ever done this year. Um, months and months ago, I knew we were going to be walking through Nehemiah, and we've been walking through it. And as I'm breaking it down and kind of mapping out, this is what each week will be. There was one section in chapter 7 that I said, man, i got to figure out what to do with that. And I said, we skipped over it last week, and it wasn't because it was something that made me nervous. It wasn't something that I felt was going to be awkward to talk about. It's just a genealogy chapter. It's about 70 verses of names, and actually, we'll just go ahead and let it start rolling, and you'll see why I am not going to read it. Um, you try reading some of those names, and then you try reading all of them. Um, and it's one of those moments, whenever we look at Scripture, there's different times where if you really start reading the Bible on page one, you get excited, you got Genesis, you got the creation story, it's awesome, and then you get to Exodus, and you've got Moses and the, the plight of the uh, Israelites, but then you get to parts of Numbers, and it's so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so was the son of this person, and it's Hebrew, and you can't pronounce it, and there's a lot of <laughs> in it. Like, it's one of those times where you go, man, I just don't, I don't know what to do with this. And this is what Nehemiah chapter 7 looks like. It's a list of people that Nehemiah brought back to the city of Jerusalem and repopulated it. And it's the number of people within each tribe and all these different names and names and names. And sometimes we look at that and it just doesn't mean much to us. Like there's parts of scripture where we get to that and we say, I, I can read over that really quickly. But the thing is, when you know the story, when you know the story, genealogy suddenly becomes really, really cool. So several years ago, I was talking to my grandma and she said, hey, you, you like history, right? I said, yeah. And she goes, well, you're, did you know your Uncle Dimp was in World War II? I said, no, I, I didn't know that. And he wrote a book. Do you want to read it? And I was like, sure, that sounds awesome. And I sat down and I read a book that was self-published. I'm not a grammar person, but man, there were so many errors in it. But in this story, I find out my great uncle in World War II was General Patton's personal secretary. And being a history nerd, I'm like, that's awesome. And I start reading these firsthand accounts of what it looked like on front lines and him shooting at airplanes with a gun and all this different stuff. And hearing this story, I'm like, man, this is awesome. When you know the story, something like genealogy, even a chapter like chapter 7, with all of its names, when suddenly you start going, you know what? Attached to each one of those names was a story. It's one that their grandchildren talked about. It's one that they spread throughout their families, and this family knew this family, and they knew that family story, and they knew the background and story of this family. And so all those names that are there, they play a part of a story. And in fact, they play a part of the Easter story. See, every year we, we arrive at this day, and it's, it's a different date each year, but it's Easter, and we get excited, and it's a day we celebrate. We got up this morning. We had some things for our kids. It's a day where we, we put, you know, the, my favorite flowers out, and, you know, we wear stuff that we don't normally wear. I walked in this morning. The band goes, hey, it's your first time, because I was wearing a coat. Yes. But it's one of those times also, from what I do, like, we're going to share this story, and so many times we, we hear the story over and over again, but... When we understand the totality of this story, it makes it very easy to celebrate. It makes it very easy for us to come together as a body and say, this is Easter. He is risen. 
And so, like every story, the story of Easter has a beginning. And it starts in Genesis 1-1. In Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is where the story of Easter begins. In the beginning. Now, I'm not going to, the word beginning in Hebrew, it's, I'm not going to say it because it's going to sound like I'm saying a bad word um, in English <laughs> is how it happens. But it carries a lot of weight to it. In the beginning, in this epic of time, God was there, Christ was there, and the Holy Spirit were there. Amen. That's why we read in Genesis 1.27, it says, let us make man in our own image. It wasn't being schizophrenic there. It was the three of them together in the beginning, before light existed, before earth existed, before any of that was here. They were there and they knew the story. Before mankind was ever even created, Jesus knew one day in the future, I will go to earth, live a sinless life, and lay my life down on the cross before people are ever there because salvation was not a second plan. It was already there in the beginning. And God creates the earth, and he creates it in absolute perfection. You've probably heard me use a Hebrew word, shalom. A lot of times, if you know somebody that's Jewish, that's how they answer the phone. We translate it peace now. But in olden times, it carried an idea behind it that all is as it should be. It wasn't just the absence of bad. It was the presence of perfection. And this is how God creates the earth. And it's beautiful. And the ultimate point, he creates Adam and Eve. And he has the garden there for them. He, he gives them a purpose. They have, have an objective in life. And they wake up in the morning knowing God completely, and they go to bed at night knowing him completely. It's beautiful. And we get two pages of it. Because then you have Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3 is one of the darker moments in Scripture. In verse 4 it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. On a day that we celebrate, we do have to look back to the beginning of the story and see, well, why, are we need, why is there a need to celebrate? Because this is when a separation takes place. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They love each other. They know each other. They, they do everything together. There's a moment the serpent, Satan, comes in and begins to tempt Eve. See, for all the different places and all the different things in the garden that were great, God said there's one thing do not eat of this tree. The serpent comes along and knows, hey, this puts a I mean, temptation in her heart. This could make me wise. This could make me like God. And she takes some of the fruit. She eats it. She gives some to Adam. And the hardest reality hits them. They go from knowing who God is and walking with him in perfection 
and suddenly there's this cold sense of shame that sets in. They immediately know, they know they're naked. And instead of running to God in that moment, they do what we most often do. They run away from him and they hide. And Adam and Eve had the worst day in human history. They woke up that morning knowing God completely, and they probably didn't sleep that night, but they went to bed knowing what sin was. They felt that separation. They felt that disobedience. Because this is what sin is. It separates us from a perfect and holy God, and sin just rails against that, and it separates us. And later in chapter 3, God comes to all of them, and there's a consequence for sin. We understand that there's consequences for all of us when it comes to sin. But what I love in that, before he gets to Adam and Eve and says, this is the price of your sin, God comes to the serpent. And in chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, I'm going to put enmity, I'm going to put you know, angst between you and her offspring. You will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. Now, I'm not going to get into a lot of biology this morning, but typically we say their offspring. You see what I did there? It doesn't say their offspring. It says her offspring. Only one time in the history of humanity has it just been her offspring. And it was Mary and Jesus. I love that before consequences even given to Adam and Eve, there's a ray of hope. That verse is what they call the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first gospel. And it's making reference to Christ because, yes, Satan, you would bruise his heel. And he crushed your head. And I love that that hope is given. But the reality is sin is there. And so the story of Easter has a middle as well. The middle is filled with the reminder that we are broken people. People have, yes, they can be good, but even good people will fail. So take Exodus chapter 20. Moses is given the law, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the most basic of human morality. Don't lie. Don't steal other people's stuff. Like, I like when my neighbor doesn't take my things. Thanks, Josh. Like, <laughs> it's little things like that. Don't, don't covet stuff to where it drives you insane. And then, yeah, there's some of them where it's, hey, do not murder. I enjoy being around people that don't struggle with that one. But if you go, well, I, that, that's the one I haven't broke. Jesus changed it up in Matthew when he said, hey, if you've ever had anger in your heart towards someone, well, that's the same as murder. So we're all there. The most basic of morality we cannot follow. Every one of us have broken every one of them in a number of ways. And throughout Scripture, throughout everything that we read, you do, you have these giants at times of Scripture, people that God raised up, and in every single one of them, we find faults. Moses. Moses goes up on a mountain and is in the presence of God. Moses is told by God, hey, I'm going to show you my presence, but if you saw the front of me, it would be so much, it'd kill you. So I'm going to cover you up and you'll see the back of me. Moses hears audibly God speak to him. Moses stands before a massive body of water with an army running him down and lifts up his staff and watches it split in two. He saw big things. Yet for all of that, there's a point where God says, Moses, I want you to do this. 
and he was disobedient, and he did that. And so God leads him up onto a mountaintop and says, I want you to look out on this land. It's the promised land. It's where the people are going to go, but you will not be a part of that. Even someone like Moses had a moment where it was a reality. He was sinful. Skip forward a little bit. Samson. Loved reading that story when I was a little kid because he was like a bodybuilder, you know. <laughs> Spirit of God would descend on him and he could do anything he wanted. Then he goes after a person and confesses things to where he's not supposed to and ultimately it costs him his life. David. Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. I want to hang out with David. Like when we get to heaven... I want to be around him because that is like the man's man of Scripture. David, as a young boy, is taking some food to his brothers who are in a battle, and he gets there, and they're all hunkered down, and he's like, what's going on? And like, there's a tall guy over there. <laughs> well, what's he doing? He's mocking God. Well, someone should stop him. Well, we're not because it's a tall guy over there. It's Goliath. And David goes, that's not okay. I'll take care of it. We're talking a young boy. And he goes down to a river. And he gets some stones, brings them back, and kills a giant, because that's what David does. David spends his time with what's known as the mighty men, like the original Navy SEALs. This is a group of guys that one of them, it said, like one of the only times snow was recorded in the Bible, it says, Beniah went into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. I want that guy on the cat team. <laughs> Another one had said he killed a thousand men in battle. Another one, like, fought so long he couldn't even take his hand off his sword. It had just closed up. And these are the guys that David runs around with. This is a manly dude. And then David would sit down and pick up a harp and play beautiful music and pick up a pen write beautiful poetry. He's one of the coolest people in Scripture. But one day, when David should have been in battle, he finds himself on a rooftop trying to stay cool. And he looks down, and he sees a young woman bathing. And he says, bring her to me. What most people don't realize in that story, that was actually one of his best friend's wives. Ultimately, he has his, one of his best friends killed. Here's a guy after God's own heart, and he shows us, you put yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, you'll fall. Jonah. Jonah hears from God. He's a prophet. And he hears God say, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes the other way. <laughs> and it kind of ends poorly. <laughs> Skip forward to the New Testament. Peter. Man, the rock on which this church is built. Peter's a guy who sits around campfires at night listening to Jesus tell stories. Peter's one of the ones who's walking around breaking up bread that just never seems to run out to hand to people who are hungry. He watches the miracles of Jesus. He gets out of a boat one night and walks on water to meet him. He knows him. And Peter, in very typical Peter fat fashion, adamantly tells Jesus, there is no way I deny you. And shortly thereafter, after Jesus is arrested, someone comes to Peter and says, you're one of the disciples. And he goes, I don't know the guy. Somebody else walks up, I don't know the guy. He's getting frustrated. A young girl walks up. The scripture says that he literally began to call out curses like, go to the top in English, and that's what Peter is saying. I don't know Jesus. 
then he hears a rooster crow and he's absolutely ashamed. Paul, who writes so much of the New Testament, he thought himself a godly man. He thought he followed God and he didn't like the idea of Jesus. He didn't like the idea. He didn't believe that that was Jesus with God in Genesis 1. And so he goes to families who are Christians and systematically breaks them up and then it escalates and he finds himself murdering people who call on the name of Jesus. The middle of this story is full of the reality that we are a broken people. Someone as great as David fell. And so our story becomes a part of it now. Because like years ago, I think it almost offended people if you said, hey, you're sinful. I don't think people get offended about it now. I think people just don't care. Yeah, I know, but what does it matter? Well, there is a consequence for that. There's a price for that. And we know that if you die without Christ, there's a separation for all eternity. And if the story ended there, if the story stopped in the middle, here's the thing. God would still be perfect and holy. But praise God, the story of Easter has a climax. Praise God, the story of Easter has this resounding crescendo moment on the cross. So look in Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while you were still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. This has been a long week. I have never had an Easter week like this. Many of you know, but if you're just hearing it or watching online, we, we lost a good friend this week. It has been a week of lots of tears, some laughter. It's been a week of trying to reach out and, and love well. It's been a week with a lot of questions. It's been a week where I've had to stop down and think about mortality. Because yesterday, I just about died. And if not for God's absolute sovereignty and a wife that was paying attention, I don't, I don't think I'd be here. I miss you too. I have never held on to the words, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen, probably more than I have this week. Because the reality is, 
Every day could have been horrible. I couldn't be here. But he is still risen. And I will hold on to that. I will find comfort in that. And I will celebrate that. One morning, a group of women woke up after days of pain. They wanted to go and prepare his body. He'd been placed in a tomb. A massive stone had been put in front of it. Guards. They get there and this huge stone is rolled away. They go inside and they can't find the body. They find some angels. I love that it says they were in dazzling apparel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that was something from like Project One, Runway Crazy. They were probably in robes, but those robes had been in the glory of God. <laughs> you could take all my clothes from Cole, send them to heaven, and they will look glorious and dazzling. <laughs> and man, they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Death could not stop him. Death could not hold him. The sin that come, or the death that comes from sin could not beat him. He was risen. He said, don't you remember I told you? I told you this was going to happen. Like, we, we know the story. We've read it, and sometimes it's like the Scripture is still saying, I told you. I told you I would do this. God raised him from the dead. He defeated sin. Our story now has hope. Because it's only through him. What he did on the cross was to pay the price for our sin. We know that sin has a consequence, and that consequence is death. In the Old Testament, they would make sacrifice. Something had to die to cover that sin. And so Jesus lays his life down and becomes the ultimate sacrifice for the sin of humanity. And it's only through him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only through him can we experience forgiveness. Can we experience grace? Can we see an eternity forever with God? It's only through him that we can stand before God and claim, I'm covered by your son. I'm justified to stand in your presence. The story finally has hope, but that hope only begins when someone takes the step and says, I want to turn from my old life. I understand that my life had sin. I understand that that sin had consequence. I want to turn from that. I want to follow Christ. And scripture says in that instant, there is a new creation. There is something that is alive that will never die. And here's the beauty of this story. The story's still playing out. The story of Easter is still being played out. Because in Revelation 22, verse 12, it says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's coming back. Now, I'm going to make a confession online, everybody at second service. I told first service I didn't want to do this one. I wanted him to come back. Like, I'd have been great with that. Like, go out with a bang. 
Um, love for him to come back right now. <laughs> I was hoping. <laughs> He's coming back, though. We know from scriptures, yes, some are already there. But the story is complete. When Jesus returns, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And we go back to the first two pages. See, salvation is for us, but there's one day. God is going to save literally the entire universe and bring everything back to shalom. All is as it should be. One day, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be a trumpet sound heard across the entirety of the globe. And I don't, I don't know when we get taken back within that. I don't know if there's even enough time for us to figure out, is that a trumpet? Oh, it's that one. Like, to be excited for a second. Like, I, I kind of want that for me because I just need that last moment of my sarcasm. Um, but he's coming back. When he comes back, a lot comes with it. There comes a final judgment. There comes a time of wheat and chaff. And I'm going to stand here today and tell you, Jesus is coming back. I'm ready. I know where my faith is. I know where my trust is. And I'm holding on to it tightly. So now... What do we do with the story? See, we play a part in that story as well. Are you a part of the story? Do you know who Christ is? Are you in him? Are we sharing this story? Does this story play out not just on Easter, but every day in our lives, in our actions, in our words? And I pray that we are a people that share the story. I pray that we're a people that add to the story good works that he's prepared for us before time. And I pray we live that out every day, not just the day that we celebrate it most. Let's pray. God, we love you and celebrate you. God, I'm thankful that you looked down on creation and you loved us enough to send your son. Jesus, that you loved us enough to lay down your life so that we can experience forgiveness. And if there's someone here today or watching online and you don't know what it looks like to have a personal relationship, you've never experienced that forgiveness. But every time we say the name Jesus, something just stirs in you. I pray that you would know that's the Holy Spirit working on you. And you can have a relationship with him. If you're ready to let go of who you were and fall into something bigger, say, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinful person. But I want to turn away from that. I want to follow Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of my life. If you said that, I want to say this as well. Come talk to me. We want to celebrate that. I love what God is doing. God, thank you for allowing us to be part of this story. God, I pray we live it out every day.
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.